Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church, a campus of Mount Perrin North. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, especially those disconnected from Christ. And we hope you are encouraged by today's message. What's up, 1130? How we doing? All right, this side's with me. What's up, left side? You doing all right today? All right, you got to be with me today. You got to be. I missed that. Say it again. No, nothing. All right. That's fine. Hey, I don't know why Pastor Trevor was so mad on that video. Did anybody see his face? He looked like somebody shot his dog or something. I don't know what happened. I leaned over to him a second ago. I said, what is wrong with you? The joy of the Lord is your strength, brother. Wake up. No, it's, hey, we're glad you're here today. Welcome to the 1130 service on this Palm Sunday, this Sunday leading into Holy Week, leading into Easter, and there's all kinds of things that are coming up. But I've got a confession to make to you this morning. I've actually made this confession before, so this is just really for me to feel better about myself. I do not have a green thumb. Like, I don't have any semblance of a green thumb. Like, whatever is planted in the ground or in a pot, if I have anything to do with it, it dies quickly. Um, I'm terrible. Some of you, your spiritual gift is like gardening, and you love to do stuff and plant stuff, and it's, it's therapeutic for you to go out in the yard and do all kinds of projects and mow the grass and do this and do that. I need therapy after I finish those projects because I'm just not good at it. I, I don't know. Like, the Lord just did not grace me with that ability. But about a year, maybe 15 months ago or so, we, we moved, we bought a new house, we sold the house we'd lived in for about nine, nine and a half years here in Canton. So we sold that house and we moved into another house, but a lot was happening in that season of time. We, we opened this facility, we had been meeting at Sequoia High School for 209 Sundays, and we moved into this facility, we opened on a Sunday, and our closing date for our house had been moved back several times, and so we, we, we opened here on Sunday, and then we closed on our house on Wednesday. And all the things that were involved in getting into here and trying to pack and get out of our house, and we just, we fumbled the ball in a lot of ways. But we moved into our house, and when we moved in, I was told by people that evidently thought that I could do something about it, hey, there's some trees in your backyard that you're going to need to take care of pretty quickly. Like there's some trees on this side that are kind of leaning from your neighbors onto your yard and it's going to kill your grass and hurt your fence. And there's some of your trees leaning over to your other neighbor's yard and it's going to kill their grass and hurt their fence. And you've got these, I didn't even know what they were. This shows my ignorance that you have these crepe myrtles in your yard. And so you need to do something about them, but you have to cut them and trim them back at this certain time of the year. And if you miss that window, you can't do it again. Now, maybe that's true. Maybe it's not true. I still don't know, but I missed whatever window it was that they told me just a lot going on in life in that season. So I I promised Corey, Corey, I promise when it becomes winter again, and I'm able to cut those things back, I will cut them back. Well, I didn't mean to lie, but I lied because I didn't cut them back during the winter. And I was told, like, you've got to do it by this date or it won't work and it'll kill your yard. And I don't know, like, you'll lose a million dollars. I'm not sure what they told me, but they said, you got to do it. So I missed the window. So I didn't even really know what I needed. So Matt Bayer, who's on our staff and he plays in our band, he gave me some of the tools Some of them, I don't even know the names of them, but he gave me the tools. He said, this is what you do. Watch this YouTube video. I did that. So then I was a certified gardener, I think, in some states. So I watched the YouTube video, and I took the tools, and I was going to go out in the yard and do it on a certain day, but it rained. And then there was another day, and maybe it rained, or there was a threat of rain, so I didn't do it on that day. Um, And so then there was like this day, and I was like, okay, I'm cutting the trees. I'm trimming the trees back. I'm going to do it today. Today's the day. I told Corey, I was like, listen, this will not take me long and it's not going to be that hard. I, about halfway through the first crepe myrtle, I realized I'm in over my head. 
I, it, it, they had gotten so large that I think they had actually moved our house like about three feet to the left. They were like pushing on the house. And let me just show you one side of my yard. There's like two of our children buried under there somewhere. Like you can go ahead and just take that off the screen. There's no need for us to look at that. But I only tell you that so that you know that your pastor does not have that ability. Um, but I also tell you that because it has occurred to me this spring more than any other spring that when we're celebrating Easter, we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what we mean is that he went to the cross and he died on the cross and they buried him in a tomb. And three days later, he raised from the dead. And that's what we celebrate next Sunday, Easter Sunday. But even if you are not a Christ follower, if you're not a Christian or you don't really believe in the resurrection or that's not something that you've ever given much thought to, you see this same pattern taking place in our world. I wrote about this in this month's Around Canton magazine where I was talking about like in our yard, in our gardens, the plants, the trees, we see the vibrant colors of spring and summer eventually begin dying off in the fall and winter as those vibrant colors give way to brown and grays and drab and death and dying off of these plants and trees until springtime comes again and we see new life. We saw death and then we see new life. And so that's what we see. And so as we conclude today this series that we've been in for five or six weeks called Jesus Is, we're looking today at Jesus's life. And I can think of no better topic to talk about leading into Easter Sunday, leading into Holy Week, than Jesus's life. Because what we've been talking about is who, who is Jesus? We've looked at the Gospel of John, and we've looked at some miracles, and we've looked at some signs and wonders, and some of the teachings that Jesus gave while he was on the earth. And we've looked at John's account of, of all of these to look at who he was. He's Jesus' joy, Jesus' healer, Jesus' provider. And so today we want to talk about Jesus is life. If you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to follow along today in the Gospel of John, again, in John chapter 11. If you don't, you've got a device and you want to follow along there, you can feel free to do that. The scriptures will be up on the screen today. John chapter 11 is a story about a man named Lazarus, who you are probably familiar with, even if you're not a Christian or someone that's been around church very often. This is a story that's made its way into just regular pop culture. The story of Lazarus begins in John chapter 11, at least this portion of the story. Beginning in verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who had poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Keep that in mind. Verse 4, that's important. We'll come back to that. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. That's funny to me. Before we go any further, Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Verse 21 says this, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. A couple things that come out to me here in these first few verses and then in 21. We see in verse 21 that Lazarus eventually did die. Early in John 11, we saw that he was just sick. And word came to Jesus. He was about two miles away doing ministry with the disciples. And word came to him. Mary and Martha sent word to him 
hey, Lazarus, this one that you love is sick. Now, here's what we need to know. If you're familiar with this story, you know this, but Lazarus, Mary, and Martha were friends of Jesus. This is not some random person, which there were people that Jesus encountered seemingly randomly that he healed or that he encountered, but this would have been a close, personal, like family friend relationship. And so they sent word to Jesus. Jesus, hey, you're two miles away, but we need you to know this one that you love, Lazarus, he's sick. And, and, and I, I know what they were doing because I've done this. I've prayed this to God, but I've also done this in other conversations. I'm sure you have as well. When you tell someone a piece of news and you leave out the action step you want them to take, but you hope that they can infer it, like what Mary and Martha were doing is saying, Jesus, Lazarus, the one that you love, he is sick. What was left unsaid is, can you come here and heal him, Right? Maybe you've prayed like that, or maybe you've had conversations where you leave that action step unsaid, but you hope that they can infer what you're trying to say so that you don't have to say, you know, can you come heal him? You just hope Jesus, kind of out of his own compassion, would want to come and heal his friend who is sick and maybe about to die. So they've sent this word to Jesus. But when Jesus gets the word, verse 4, we already read, it says, this sickness, he, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, that's easy to read. That's really hard to live out, right? Because what he's saying is the sickness that he has, it won't end in death. Well, that's great, except later we read that it did end in death, it seems, right? If the disciples heard him say that, they would go, okay, awesome, great, Jesus. This sickness will not end in death. That's great because we know Lazarus because Lazarus is your friend, and so we've hung out with you and Lazarus before, and we don't want him to die. So if the sickness won't end in death, that's great, he says, no, 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 but this is for the, the glory of God and the glory of the Son of God in this situation. And it says that he loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. He stayed where he was two more days. And I got to thinking about when I pray what I'm actually asking God to do. I am asking God to meet that need immediately, Right? Now, I know that we can pray prayers like, Lord, I got, a, you know, I got a doctor's appointment in two weeks and, you know, help my fear leading up to that. Give me peace and let it be a good doctor's appointment. But most of the time, when Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, he, he taught them to pray the same thing that we normally do. Give us our daily bread. Lord, I've got a need today. I need you to meet this need today. Like there's an immediacy to our prayers. Lord, I'm about to take this test I really need to pass this test. I got no amens from the students in the room. That's okay. That's fine. Lord, bring to my mind remembrance of all the things that I've studied and even the things that I forgot to study. But like I was in the room when they taught them, just help those things supernaturally to go into my brain. Like right now, I'm taking the test. She's passing it out. Lord, I need you to do a miracle right now. Let your hand guide this pencil. Like we want the immediate answer to prayer, right? But when Jesus gets word that this is what's happening, Lazarus is sick, they want him to come to heal him. What does he do? It says he stayed where he was two more days. We, we later see that Martha said, and we read it in verse 21, she said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, if you hadn't delayed, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And it occurs to me that delay often leads to disappointment. Delay often leads to disappointment. There's a lot in our lives that we want right now. And, and Mary and Martha and those that were around probably assumed that if Jesus were there, it wouldn't mean that Lazarus would die. It, it means that he would have done something to stop this because we assume that that's what God does. God does what we want him to do in the time that we want him to do it. 
But what if God had a different plan? You remember what we read in verse 4? He said, no, 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 this sickness won't end in death, which again reiterates the idea that death isn't the end. This sickness won't end in death. Death may be a part of the story, but it won't end in death. No, this is so that God can receive glory from it. But there was delay. They had to walk through several days of heartache and tragedy because there was delay, and delay often leads to disappointment. Maybe you've been following in the news or on social media, or maybe you have friends or family, or maybe you yourself were impacted by what's happening at the Atlanta airport this week. You know, the storm knocked out for Delta hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of flights and delayed other flights. I had a friend who was flying through Atlanta on Friday, just coming, just catching a connection, which people do all the time, coming from where he lives through Atlanta. He was supposed to catch a 3 o'clock flight. That became a 4.50 flight, which became a 5.50 flight, which became a 6.10 flight, which became a 7.50 flight, which became an 8.45 flight, which became a 10.45 flight, which became a 12.45 flight, which was then a 3 a.m. flight, 12 hours after he was supposed to catch his original flight. Maybe you know people that have been delayed. You ever walked up to a gate in the airport and you see those dreaded words, or that dreaded word, delayed? Right? Just something rises up in you, and you want to tell that girl at the ticket counter, why can't you fix the plane woman who works at the ticket register? Like, why do you not have this ability? You just want to give her a piece of your mind, right? We hate delays. We hate sitting in traffic. I was coming back. We took a vacation this last week, and, and, and I was using the, the GPS on my phone. Well, I was kind of using the GPS on my phone. I'm smarter than it, so when it tells me a way I don't agree with, I go a different way. But I was using that, and there was a delay in our trip in one of the towns we were driving through. And instead of sitting in traffic, I didn't even put in a new address. I just started driving almost backwards to get around because I would rather still be moving in the opposite direction than sitting still waiting to go the direction I started on. I hate delays. I hate, when I go to a restaurant, I go, hey, how how long's the wait? You know, it's a party of six. If they tell me very long at all, we're just catching something on the way home. Like, I'm not gonna sit and wait. I hate delays. And if you're a doctor in the room, you're gonna be offended by the next 30 seconds or so. So just probably earmuff it for a second. But let me just say to you, like when I go to the doctor, if I'm late, they charge me. But if I show up early and sit in the waiting room, they can keep me waiting as long as they want to, and it doesn't cost them anything, right? Because then they put you in the room, the waiting room. That's what it's called. And then they call you back. I think this is a trick. Then they call you back into another room. They make you take your pants off and they take the magazines away. Now what are you supposed to do? Now you just got to sit there and there's nothing for you to do, right? Because you're just, wait, you're just delayed, right? There's nothing for you to do. I hate delays. A friend of mine, or not a friend of mine, somebody that I, that I admire a lot, said several years ago that he was on a plane catching a connection going somewhere, and he got to the gate, delayed. And he said he was angry. He was gonna miss, the, the new flight time, he was going to miss his meeting. It was going to cost him money. And so he was standing there, and he's waiting at the ticket counter for them to rebook him on a different flight that m- he might, might be able to catch a portion of his meeting. And he's thinking of everything he can tell this woman everything he can say to her, to be as persuasive, but to show her how angry he is. And he's so upset. And he said, right before he got to the counter, he said he, he, he heard, he felt that still small voice of the Holy Spirit say, what if, what if this is me? What if you're so busy all the time that this is the only way I can get you to slow down and listen to me? What if I need you to say something to this woman 
who you would not have met otherwise. Are you willing to be delayed? Are you willing to slow down? Martha said, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Because we assume that God answers our prayers the way we want him to answer our prayers in the time we want him to answer them. Instead of us becoming in the image of God, we want God to be made into our image. That's what we want. We want him to answer our prayers in the way we want them answered, in the time we want them answered. Because we think we know what's best about our story. And yet sometimes God delays, which leads to disappointment if we're not careful because we don't see what God may be trying to do. Verse 14. So then he told them plainly, talking to the disciples. This is Jesus talking. Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Now, a lot's happened since verse 6, because we went from verse 6 to 21. We jump back into verse 14. So from verse 6 to verse 14 here, Lazarus actually died. Jesus tells the disciples... He's sleeping. They said, great, Master, if he's sleeping, he's going to wake up. Jesus, I guess with all the compassion he could muster when he's talking to the disciples sometimes, kind of like he does when he's talking to me. No, 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 you're missing it. You don't understand completely what I'm saying. He's dead. But it's for your sake that I'm glad I wasn't there so that you can believe, and now let's go to him. I delayed on purpose. There's something about the glory of God that needs to be revealed here. So now he's dead, and it's for your sake that I'm glad he's dead now so that you can believe. So now let's go. Now that it seems impossible, now that the worst, the seemingly worst has happened, let's go. And it's for your sake that all this happened. It's for your sake that all this happened. And I wonder, where might God's current inaction be for your sake? Right? What do we want? We want God's action. We assume God's blessing is when he's acting on our behalf. God, I want this job. I got this job. That's the blessing of God. God, I want this relationship. I got this relationship. That's the blessing of God. God, I want this thing happen. I want this thing to happen. I want this thing to happen. I need you to bless me this way. Give me this. Give me that. That's what happened. God, that's your blessing on my life. Now, there are definitely times where that happens beyond any doubt. But there are also times where God's blessing for your life is found in his inaction, where he's saying, no, 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 that's, that's not what you need right now. That, that's not what I want to give you right now. That, that may be for a later time, but it's not for this time. That may be for a later moment, but it's not for this moment. Or that may not be for any moment in your life, and you need to trust me. Ultimately, all of Christian faith comes down to one question. Do we trust God? Do we trust God? My parents taught me when I was a little boy, there is no middle ground with trusting God. You either trust God or you don't. Because you can't say, well, yes, I do trust God. I trust him with this. I don't trust him with this yet, but I trust him over here. Then you don't trust God completely. You just trust him partially, right? So I can't say that I trust God if I don't trust God. And the reason that I say that a lot from this stage is because that's something God's pressing into my soul. He's working with me because there's still areas of my life where I'm still wrestling with that and saying, God, I want to give this to you. I want to trust you with this completely. I want to give this area of my life. I want to trust you with this type of need that we may have. He's still working on me. But do you trust 
God. When God is inactive, when he's not doing what you think he should do in the time that you think he should do it, are you still okay trusting that God knows what's best for you? Because what did he say back in verse 4? He said, no, no, this won't end in death. This is for the glory of God. Are you okay with God getting glory if you don't get glory? Are you okay with God getting glory in the midst of your sadness? Are you okay with God getting glory in the midst of your impatience? Are you okay with God getting glory in the midst of moments that you don't quite understand what God may be doing? Am I okay with that? Or am I only okay with God getting glory when I get glory? With God getting glory when I'm happy? When God getting glory, with God getting glory when things are working out in my life? Is that the only time that I'm okay? And he says, no, 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 listen. This is happening so that the glory of God could be revealed. Where might God's current inaction be for your glory? Verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, the reason that John includes this is if you study the the culture in that time, across faiths, across all the different religions and faiths that were forming and that, that existed in this time, all these different cultures, there was this thought that kind of permeated culture that for the first three days after death, the spirit of a man or woman still was inside of them, that the spirit rested in the body for three days. Right? There's a lot of symbolism in the Easter story and the reason that that's, that's a part of this. But it says that Jesus arrived on the fourth day. So not only, if you, if you were tracking the timeline, it said that after he found out he waited two more days, he only had to go two miles. But he walked real slow. It took him two days to walk two miles. That's about my pace, right? He's walking very slow to get there because he arrives on day four. And as I think about this story and I think about what's happening here and I think about what Mary and Martha have already said, they said, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. We believe you have the power to heal sickness. If you would have been here when he was sick, we believe you could have made him well and he wouldn't have died. We believe you have that power. And in this culture and in this time, there would have probably been the the thought that in the first three days, Jesus could have raised him from the dead because the spirit would have still been inside of him. He could have been resurrected. Right? Because the Spirit would have still lived inside him. But t- by the time you get to day four, it's hopeless. There's no more spirit. There's no more soul. It's just a carcass. It's just a dead thing, flesh and bones that lay there. there there's nothing that can be done because it's now four days later after his death. And man, when I read that this week, I was thinking like, where do I put limits on God like this? That I assume he can heal sickness And I might even assume that he could raise somebody from the dead, but only in the first three days. Can can you hear how irrational that is? That we say, wherever you've put that limit, wherever you've put that line, this is what God can do, but he can't do this. Right? There's some things that God can do, and I trust him, and I believe him, and I I hope all hope, and I think God can do up to this this line. You know, God can do up to this point. But there's just some things that I, I don't, I don't think God can do. Where are we putting limits on God? I think that's why John included this in verse 17. That Jesus arrived and the body had already been in the tomb for four days. I think, you know, we we talked about it a little earlier. I think we go, okay, God, I I need you to help me with this math test. You know, Lord, help me to remember all the things that I need to remember. And Lord, help me. And I, you know, I made a good grade. So that's, that's God helping me. 
But I mean, that's, that's what God can, you know, God can do that kind of stuff. But God, God can't, like, help me afford to go to college. Nobody in my family's ever been to college. We, we don't make enough money. My parents don't have enough money. We don't really qualify for enough financial aid. So, I mean, I, he can't really, he can't do that. Like, he can help me with a test, but he can't, he can't make money. He can't open up new scholarships, could he? Because there's a line. God can do up to this point, but he can't, he can't do this. You know, if I'm sick, I've got a head cold, I've got the flu, the stomach bug, you know, death by throw up. I've got all that. God, heal me of that. God, help me to feel better. You can do that. But God doesn't heal cancer, right? I mean, we've prayed for a lot of people that have had cancer, and some of them stayed sick, and some of them died. And So I guess that means God can't do it. Because I'm putting a limit on God. I'm saying if you were here, you could have healed them from sickness, and maybe you could have done it in the first three days. But there comes a point where even God can't do anything, right? Because this is four days later. There's, there's no way that he could have done anything here. We said, God, I, I mean, I need... I need this job. God, thank you for giving me this job, but I mean, now it's time to pay the bills and I know what my income level is and I know what my expenses are. And so, Lord, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do my thing over here. Like, really excited about celebrating Easter next week. Like, the power to raise Christ from the dead. That's awesome. We'll celebrate that over here, but I'm gonna push that aside because that's what you do. You don't pay bills. You don't create income. Because, God, you, you do this stuff. You don't do this kind of thing. I, I, I'm going to put a little limit on you, God. I'm going I'm to say that you do those things and, and I do these things. I was in a conference a few weeks ago where a pastor was talking about when we pray and ask God to do something, and it doesn't turn out quite like we thought it would. And so the next time we pray, we trust God for just a little bit less. And then we pray, and we, we trust God for that amount, and it doesn't really turn out like we thought it would, and so the next time we pray, we trust God for just a little bit less. And the next time we pray, we trust him for just a little bit less. And just a little bit less. Until eventually we're just praying and trusting God for whatever we can do on our own. There's no faith there. There's no trust to say, God, I, I'm, we'll celebrate you. Thanks for doing all those really cool things in the Bible. But I've got to do this. I've got to be good enough. I've got to be strong enough. I've got to be talented enough. There's a limit to what you can do, God. Pastor Craig Groeschel calls that practical atheism. When you say with your mouth that you believe in God, but you act as if he doesn't have the power to do it. I've wrestled with that at different times in my life. Where I've just not trusted God with everything. I said, no, God, there's a point that I, I've got to do this because you can't. It's day four. The body's been in the tomb four days. Like the spirit's gone from the, this is just a lifeless carcass here. There, there's no way you can do anything here, God. So let's conclude the story, beginning in verse 37. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, in the most ironic verse in all of Scripture, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Verse 43. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, and his hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him 
go. Did you hear what Martha said? Jesus said, roll away the stone. And Martha said, well, Lord, if we do that, it's going to stink. Like that body's been in there four days. It's gonna, it's gonna, a dead body smells bad, Lord. I don't know if you know that. You've been traveling a lot. I don't know how many funerals you've been to, but it stinks after four days. Do we even believe that he can answer prayer? There was another story in the New Testament where Peter was in prison, and they're praying for Peter to get out of prison. And Peter shows up and knocks on their door while they're having their prayer meeting, and the girl shuts the door in his face. And so that can't be Peter because Peter's in prison. And we laugh at that, and we go, well, yeah, but, you know, those, those crazy people, or, you know, Martha was right, it would have stunk. They were praying that he would raise him from the dead. Well, guess what? It may stink a little bit. The way that you are praying and the way that God answers it may be a little bit different. It may get a little messy. It may not look as clean and neat as somebody else's life. The way God interrupts your story, the way God delays in your story, the way God shows up in your story, it might be a little messy. It might not look like you thought it would look. It may not be exactly like you thought it would look. But guess what? You've still got to roll the stone away and trust when he says go, you go. When he says do it, you just do it. You trust him enough to believe that he can. Because he can. So he said, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes walking out. I just, in my head, I picture a mummy. I don't know why. I just, you know, he's just... I mean, that's, that's all I got, right? And Jesus is like, get the stinking grave clothes off of him. He's alive. I told you guys this thing would not end in death. I told you it wouldn't. There's more to the story. This is for the glory of God. This is so that you would believe that I can. Because you're going to need to believe that I can when I, too, am put to death in a tomb. This is foreshadowing. It's saying, do you really trust me? Even when you see it with your own eyes, do you trust? Do you believe that I have the power to do this? Because there are some dead things that I want to bring back to life. And so I leave you with two questions today. What are you trying to keep alive that God is trying to let die? Relationships, jobs, dreams, careers. What are you trying to keep alive that God is trying to let die? Now, here's, here's what I want you to hear me say before you hear me say anything else. There are times that you absolutely need to hold on to the dreams, the plans, the relationship, the, dro- the job, the career. You need to hold on to that because you believe that that's what God told you. And until he tells you to do something different, you just keep doing what he told you to do back there. And you just stay faithful and stay obedient and just hold to that, even when it doesn't seem like the dreams are coming true, even when it doesn't seem like the career is progressing, even when it seems like the relationship is hard. You just hold to that. But there are times that God is wanting to let some things die off because he's wanting to breathe new life into something. And he needs to let some things die. you got to let go of some dreams and let go of some career paths and some jobs and some relationships so that he can do the new work that he wants to do. And he can't do that new work because you're still holding on to that old thing. What are you trying to keep alive that he's trying to let die? There, There are some things that he's delaying on. And he is allowing to die for his glory so that you can see him in a way you've never seen him before. 
And you just keep, no, this is, this is my dream. This is the thing I want to do. This is, what I, this is the career I want to chase and the job I want to have and the relationship I want to be in. So, no, I'm, I'm keeping it alive. And God, bless this thing. Bless this thing. And he's saying, no, I'm trying to do something else. What are you trying to keep alive that God is trying to let die? Second question is this. What are you trying to keep dead that God is calling back into life? That dream that relationship, that job, that career, and you say, man, I, I chased that for a while, but I sat it down because it wasn't happening like I thought it was going to happen. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. It seemed like it was being answered, but man, it was totally different. It smelled different than I thought it would smell. It felt different than I thought it would feel. And so I just put it to death. I just let it go. And God's saying, no, I want you to pick it up. I want to I breathe new life. He's calling it by name today. He's saying, come out. Come be that thing. Come do that thing. That's who you were called to be. That's who you were made and created to be. What are you trying to keep dead that God is calling back to life? It all comes back to, do you trust? Do I trust God? Do I trust Him? When I pray and He delays... Do I trust him? When I'm praying for action and he's inactive, do I trust that he's still there? Do I trust that he's still working? Do I trust that he's still in control? Do I trust that he still has my best interest in heart? Do I trust him? As we close today, I want to I pray for two things. One, if you say, you know what, I, I need to accept Christ the first act of trust that I need to make is to trust Him with my life. I need to accept Him as the Lord and Savior of my life. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I've never prayed this prayer, or maybe I did a long time ago, but I know I've walked away from God, and He's never left me, but man, I did my best to try to leave Him. And today, I just want to recommit myself to say, God, I trust you, and I believe in you, and I want you to forgive my sins. In just a minute, we're going to pray and give you that opportunity. And then there's going to be others of you that you say, that's not, that's not where I'm at today. I, I'm in a relationship with God, and, but I want to trust God more. I don't want to have these things in my life that I trust him up to this point, but I just I believe that I've got to do it all over here. That it's, it's, it's on me and my ability and my hard work and what I can produce. I, I, I want to trust God with everything. I want to pray bold prayers. I want to believe God for big things, and I just want to trust that God can, can do all of it. And maybe he doesn't do all of it, but I'm going to trust that he knows best when he doesn't do what I want him to do, when I want him to do it. And so I'm just going to, I just want to trust him more. I'm going to ask you right where you're at just to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment, just to give those privacy that want to respond to this as they're still working this out with the Lord. I'm not going to ask you to stand today. I'm not going to ask you to do anything that may make you uncomfortable. I'm just going to ask you to be obedient. As you sit there with your head bowed, if you would say to me, Jeremy, I... I need to accept Christ as my Savior. I need Him to forgive my sins and be the Lord of my life and to lead and guide and direct me. And I want today to be the day. Would you lift your hand right where you're at? You put it right back down. Thank you so much. Anybody else? Anybody else? Now, if you would say to me, Jeremy, I, I just want to trust God more. I want to trust Him with everything that I am, every part of my life, I don't want there to be a place that I stop trusting God and start trusting myself more. 
I just want to trust God with everything that I am. Would you lift your hand? Put it right back down. So many hands. All of our services today. God, I pray for every hand that was lifted in this service. As I've prayed in all three of our services for both of these types of responses. God, first I pray for those who lifted their hand today to receive you as the Lord and Savior of their life. God, I thank you for the free gift of salvation. I thank you that when we respond to say that we need you, you hear us, you forgive us of our sins, you become our Lord and our Savior. God, I thank you for that. And I thank you for the folks in this room, in this service, that have made that commitment to you. God, I pray that they would walk in unexplainable joy. And I pray now for protection against the enemy that would try to distract them in the coming hours and the coming days, but that they would hold to what they've committed to you now and that they would hold to the truth that you've forgiven them and that you hold, you don't hold their past against them, but you have a greater future for them. God, I pray for every hand that was lifted today to say, I want to trust God more. I want to believe that God can do what I hope he can do. And that I don't want there to be any place in my life, any place in my heart that I stop trusting God and lean on myself. I want to trust God for all of it and believe God for all of it. Even when he delays, even when he seems to be inactive, I want to trust God with everything. God, let that be a reality for us. Let us walk in confidence today. And God, help us to grow more our faith and hope and trust in you. It's not an instantaneous thing. It's little by little, every decision, every prayer, learning to trust you a little bit more than we did the time before. God, work that out in us. We believe that you can. God, I pray right now for every bold prayer that we might want to pray. Give us the boldness to pray it. Give us the boldness to believe it, that you can do it, because I believe that you can. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.